0: Forever. Dog. Welcome to Public Intellectual. Public Intellectual is a podcast supported solely by its listeners, so if you would like to become a supporter, go to patreon.com publicintellectual public intellectual and access bonus episodes like the recent one we did with Angelica Bastien where we had 40 minutes of conversation about the good wife and the good fight, and yet somehow didn't get around to my main problem with the show, which is I don't think that anybody who writes that show has ever had sex before. The sex is really disturbing, and maybe we have to do a second episode to talk about that. But um, you can find the original conversation, which covers other fascinating subjects about the life of um, Chicago law firms, at patreon.com slash public intellectual. I have been on a book tour this past month, and I keep getting asked about me too. No one ever likes my answer, so I have no idea why I keep getting asked. If there are going to be consequences for bad sexual behavior, then we need a truth and reconciliation-like system to adjudicate the accusations consequences need to be proportionate to the violation. And if we're dragging men in front of the tribunal, women will need to be held accountable for their abuses of power too. Anything else is unjust. People don't like this answer, which I find interesting. I understand it. I find myself ambivalent. I have been delighted by men in the literary industry who have been rumored to be rapists and abusers for years, finally facing consequences for that behavior. But I am still uncomfortable about some of the cases. The strongest accusation against Yuno Diaz that has been made public at the time of recording this episode is a forced kiss. There are less aggressive stories of dickish behavior, of course, And many stories, I am sure, yet to come out. But the primary accusation at this time is a forced kiss. And people are trying to get him fired for this. The outline ran a big story about the poet Joseph Massey, who was accused of harassing some ex-girlfriends. No accusations of full violence. The stories were mostly of verbal abuse and being controlling within a relationship. And yet, many people have signed a petition to try to get his book pulled from his publisher. I do not believe that this is a proportionate response to the accusations that have been made, and I find this behavior worrying. This podcast is about the films of Paul Verhoeven, so why are we talking about Me Too? Well, because no one will stop fucking asking me about Me Too, but also because this is what A lot of his films, especially the Dutch films, are about sex and power and violence. And guess what? Paul Verhoeven was accused in a Me Too kind of way because of an old falsified accusation Sharon Stone made against him years ago. It has essentially been disproven, and yet people drag this accusation out year after year. It hasn't gained traction this time, but it could have and maybe still will. So the wonderful writer Bruce Benderson returns to this podcast to talk about the Dutch films of Paul Verhoeven, but we also talk about some other things as well. You wrote an essay about Paul Verhoeven, um, and so it's obviously somebody that you um, have a connection to and think about. So I was just curious, uh, why is his work in it? And, you know, that's a big question. Yes, but
1: Yes, it's true. I, I was approached by someone creating a book called Writers on Directors, and out of the list that was left, I chose him. <clears throat> Not because I had liked Robocop, but because I had liked many of his other films. Mm-hmm. And in research for that essay, when I, when I watched some of his early films, I was really won over. I think he's one of the most original directors today, not to mention one of the most flawed.
0: Yeah. So, um, why, why use the word flawed?
1: Well, He's so interested in stretching his boundaries and in attacking new genre, you know, whether it's a thriller, a psychological thriller, or a war thing, or science fiction, that he's always starting from the beginning again. Um, At the same time, he's obsessed with certain themes, I think, having to do with his Catholic background. And occasionally, they just don't interact in the best way and um, they're, they're flawed or they, they, they show a um, fascination with sensationalism.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, so you said that you don't like RoboCop. Is, is that part of I mean, is that one of the things that you would consider flawed about RoboCop?
1: Well, I, I think Robocop is is his ultimate attempt to do a Hollywood film. That's mm-hmm. what I think of it, and I don't find it, I don't find the thesis extremely interesting about a cop that's killed and then turned into a robot that no one can challenge. Um, it left me in the dust. It, it's one of his only films that I couldn't relate well to. I mean, if mm-hmm. I wanted a Hollywood film, I would have so much preferred Basic Instinct.
0: Basic Instinct is amazing. I think so. And I miss Sharon Stone. I mean, I, I
1: you did?
0: We, no, I know I miss her. Like, why? Oh, are, I thought you, you said you met her. No, no. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Like, I would, I would still be hanging around her um, if if I ever came in contact with her. Um, no, it's just like you know, she had her little moment, then then she disappeared from us again. And mm,
1: yeah. not exactly. She just aged, and I think she had a stroke. Yeah, uh, a small stroke perhaps from substance abuse i'm not saying that for sure i have no idea but she still pops up now and then yeah but you know she played a certain kind of like highly libidinous character that's a little harder to do when you're over 50 yeah. i can vouch for that <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah so uh one movie of verhoeven's uh, um we we both like is the fourth man which is crazy to it's crazy difficult to find a copy of it and it is funny that it's you know in our film culture we so worship the auteur and the and the fetishizing specific directors and
1: mm-hmm. um
0: but Verhoeven seems to have avoided that because so much of his stuff is uh, is hard to track down um,
1: my god if that's the case I, i'm really surprised because i think the fourth man critically is considered one of his triumphs mm-hmm. um I I see it as a young film. Uh, it ended too soon for me, that film. There was too much that wasn't resolved. It's not a realistic film. Uh, things pop out of nowhere. Suddenly, this big womanizer also happens to like... Boys in bathing suits, and no explanation is given. That's partly why I like it because it's the narrative really is doesn't uh, work on an action level. It works more on a psychoanalytical level, mm-hmm. and um, and it's amazing because whenever his films are foreign, he manipulates the environment in every scene to give clues as to what is going on in the character's mind or a reference to one of the underlying themes of the films. In American films, he doesn't do that. He seems to be aware that, you know, American viewers are, well, we only react to what you explain to us and what you show us, you know, just because he passes a sign that says, Jesus saved. So what? I passed one yesterday when I was on the way to the grocery store. What's that supposed to mean? But in the European films are full of signifiers every second. Mm -hmm. So even when the guy's not saying anything or the woman's not saying anything or, or little is happening the narrative continues or Mm -hmm. the dialectic of the film continues.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, Virgin Mary uh, stuff going on in the background of that, and it does eventually come to the fore, but it's left in this very kind of subtle way. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, the sort of religious iconography of of his European films is much more um, direct, like in L, where she's you know um masturbating to the man carrying the the three wise men uh for the nativity scene is you know yeah, one, in a, one in such a way example.
1: they're more blatant but in another way they're 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 deeper and and less understandable um mm-hmm. um I don't think you can take them on the surface I don't know if you remember but the fourth man starts with this horrendous spider creeping over us um a Jesus um crucifixion statue mm-hmm. and and ca- and you watch it catch insects and devour them so th- it's not just that there's religious iconography throughout it there's religious iconography and predation and some link between them throughout it mm-hmm. and in order to understand that link you can't really figure it out totally rationally so the religious it's not in one way it's blatant In another way it's very cryptic
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's interesting that he never really went to a religious place in his American films because he's so when he was making films in America, he seemed so determined to get at um, the American narratives, the American narratives of the military, of the sex industry, of fame and celebrity and so on. and And God is such a huge part of American culture, but he didn't quite, um, he never really went there. Yeah, I there. never thought
1: of that, but I think you're right. But what he did get to in America is he uh, was very interested in analyzing and describing a godless country, a country in which um, product, manufacturing, uh, commercial success outrules everything else. Showgirls, for example, which I think is a fantastic film. I love
0: Showgirls. So do I.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, we shouldn't even laugh
0: at it. It, No, it's a very serious movie, actually. Um, You know, we, we did an episode about Show showgirls and the, trying to understand like it, how how frequently it's referred to as being camp, and when there's n- it's not camp. It's, no, no. Um, but well, yeah. I don't know if, if if people can watch it and uh, you know um, they have to, to th- filter it. Through it's somewhere. too
1: embarrassing. Yeah, they have to filter. It's too embarrassing for most Americans to actually see what we're doing and which is shown the most blatantly i keep saying blatant but it's shown the most blatantly in las vegas but when Mm -hmm. people go to las vegas um they don't really delve into that They, they they might remark oh yes it's completely commercial it's so phony but what are the ramifications of commercial and phony it's almost like a faustian um situation you're selling your soul for these pleasures or for this success or for this money and he was really interested in portraying that
0: yeah um yeah it's funny to me that people refer to it as being you know so over the top which if i mean if you go to las vegas seems on the level of what happens in Las Vegas. I mean, those shows, that's what those shows are. That's what they look like. That's the colors and the tits and everything else. It's like, that's-
1: Yes. Well, you're you're supposed to enjoy them, not show the perversion, destruction, and violence behind them. You're not supposed to look at them that way.
0: Yeah. You're
1: supposed to look at them either as naughty or as glorious, or naughty and glorious, or glorious, but naughty.
0: Yeah, or, or, you know, <laughs> filthy, dirty, you know, sinful, evil yeah. stuff. Um, but probably while you're jerking off to it at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Americans love that stuff. I
1: can't remember whether I jerked off to that one. I don't think so.
0: Showgirls seems like it would be really hard to jerk off to Showgirls. Yeah, regardless
1: yeah. of your sexual orientation. Yeah,
0: no matter what what's going on <laughs> down there, it seems but, like it would be hard to do it.
1: But now that you bring that up, I had never really thought about it before until I rewatched some of the films. I rewatched Elle and I rewatched The Third Man and one other, I can't think of the name right now, but recently, Mm -hmm. like in the last few days. And I realize, I think maybe also this appears in Spedders, there's an enormous amount of homosexuality in his Mm -hmm. films, and it's very ambiguous. Um, It's almost from the point of view of a homosexual. But on the other hand, he has such heterosexual themes as a rule uh, and they they're the most prominent in all his films but Mm -hmm. the homosexual element as a kind of subversive element it Mm -hmm. just keeps popping up may
0: I say, over sure. and over again, bopped right up. And it's, uh, I mean, he was starting in the 70s, uh, late 60s, early 70s? I think he was and? starting
1: in the early 60s, I oh, think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Early or mid-60s, Which with seems- Richter Hauer that was his guy, and yeah. Spedders, what comes before Spedders. Uh, can't remember.
0: I don't remember either, sorry. There's orange, something orange. Of Orange.
1: Well, we're not scholars. We're just yeah. incredibly perceptive critics. We don't Very. let the bean counters compile a list for us. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> um, was Black Book one of the ones that you that you rewatched? I
1: have seen Black Book twice, actually. Um, Yet again, what is this? Uh, it's, um, that's more of like an, an espionage movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you know that it's, I read that it's, um, Considered the best film ever made in Holland by the Dutch.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah, I don't yeah. know about
0: that. But I haven't seen that many Dutch films other than his, so I, have not, I don't that's have a lot true. to compare it to.
1: That's true. But that one um, is almost like a um, a truce between the Hollywood and the European um, um, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not full of all of these, you know, irrational signifiers that you have to be a kind of literary type. Brain to pick up mm-hmm. like the third man uh, is. Um, but at the same time it, it's not a simple um, it's not a simple uh, thriller.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's full of all kinds of moral issues. And, and I think behind it was the fact that he wanted to show that the, the the sides, each side of that war, whereby the collaborators, those who gave their lives, that it was a much more complicated issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that was his purpose of making that film.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a you know, the so-called, the good Nazi in it. Um, yeah. Which are, yeah. In the way that all of his films are sort of originally written about in an incredibly stupid way of, you know, um, Starship Troopers is fascist, Basic Instinct is uh, homophobic because uh, the Sharon Stone character is bisexual. I was reading some of those old uh, reviews And that seems. You think it's homophobic? I don't think it is, but a bunch of film critics did.
1: Yeah, you know what they actually? You're probably too young to remember, but when it was playing in theaters, there were demonstrators, gay and lesbian demonstrators outside, and one of them held a sign telling the ending. (laughs) Um, But I think that she was wrong. I -hmm. think she said Sharon Stone did it, and I don't think it ends exactly that way. No.
0: Um, What was the? (laughs) What's the? Thinking behind that. I mean, just because she's a. a- a because killer and a you know, and it's bisexual? So,
1: it's so simplistic and literal. It's like, she yeah, she she does, has lesbian sex and she kills people. And lesbians aren't that way. <laughs> we're good members of society. Sure. It's just that silliness.
0: Yeah, I never understood that. Um, yeah, well, I of understand all the movies, it, but I yeah. hate it. Yeah, Of ahead. all the movies to protest from that era, it seems like there probably were better ones to Well, to do. it was
1: shortly after, well, quite a ways after, Maybe fifteen, seventeen years after, um uh, cruising, they all Yeah they marched against. Yeah. I saw it the first day it came out. Cruising. We had a walk right through the demonstration line. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I love that film.
0: <laughs> I've never seen it.
1: You've never, se- I never it. seen I have it. I have the unedited version, I can give it to you.
0: Okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, okay, so, so you told me, um, before we started recording that Verhoeven is part of the Jesus Society, Mm -hmm. um, explain what is, what is the Jesus Well, I don't know
1: much about what the Jesus Society is, but it's like a, an intellectual, uh, religious, uh, scholarly group. And he has written a book about the life of Christ. So, you know, people never talk about that aspect of his psyche. Mm-hmm. He's a Catholic, mm-hmm. and Catholicism is extremely important to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know whether he believes in God, but he definitely is saturated with Catholic culture. Now, that's a very interesting position to be in when you're Dutch. We all associate Holland with mm-hmm. Protestantism, of course, the birth of Protestantism, practically. Yeah. But there are, I don't, I'm too stupid to know whether it's regional or not, but there is a large Catholic segment of the population, just like in Germany and Bavaria, there are a lot of Catholics. Mm-hmm. So, but they're a minority. So, you know, he's a, minority dutch person who uh was raised catholic rather than protestant and i think yeah, that stuck that sure did stick with him and it created a lot of conflicts uh, between um religion and uh, Sexuality for him, and had to have. I mean, that's he's constantly writing about that. Mm-hmm. But he believes that the minute you um, devote yourself, that you become. Comp- I think what he believes is the minute you become completely rational and scientific, and realize that there's nothing wrong with devoting yourself to pleasure be it um, the one that takes place in Las Vegas or the third man, you run up against some horribly destructive forces. But I don't think he thinks they're religious punishment forces. I think he thinks they're nature. You run up against nature like a spider um, eating an insect. So the only thing that keeps us from that kind of harm is some kind of moral or social structure, some kind of moral or social repression. Mm-hmm. Because if you remove all of those, doesn't matter how lofty a way that you remove all of those, by the best kind of philosophical argument, you turn into somebody that is at the mercy of nature and whose life is in danger. That's in so many of his films that mm-hmm. happens.
0: Um, so Sharon Stone with an ice pick kind of. Uh, shows up.
1: At the, well, yeah. He's still, uh, he still has that whole idea of woman as the destructive forces of nature, or the femme fatale and all that. It's an old uh, cliche that yeah. he's still interested in. And I must say it does turn me on, but I know that it's uh, just – It's
0: problematic. Yeah. It's <laughs> on a just, feminist level. It's just yeah. –
1: uh, uh, it's not true.
0: Right. Um, But he does <laughs> love – well, you know, whatever. Uh, he does love a good blonde. Um he yes, He has he does. the best blondes mm-hmm. in uh, in all of his films.
1: Well, just about – so many people are blonde in Holland, so it isn't the same thing as having a blonde here, I must say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's amazing how blonde some people can be in a Holland. <laughs> Even with their clothes off, there's nothing <laughs> marring that blondness. Rutger Ru- Ru- Hauer, that mm-hmm. was his male blonde. hmm and uh yeah he's into blondes mm-hmm. but to me it doesn't strike me as that interesting cuz it's more like a normal person there a blonde person mm-hmm. yeah it's like you know scandinavia too
0: mm-hmm. they're
1: all blonde you know bergman had blondes oh.
0: um did you did you read the novel the his life of jesus
1: no i don't think it's a novel i think it's a biography
0: oh really yeah jesus christ
1: <laughs> <laughs> that people object to
0: Right, because the premise of it is that uh, Christ is the product of a rape. Right, so I'm not
1: sure if it's a rape, but the father w- was a soldier, a Roman soldier, and mm-hmm. the mother was Mary. He doesn't believe in, you know, the Immaculate Conception. Wow, He's throwing a few drops of sperm here and there. <laughs> mm.
0: I mean you know that's a that's a hard position to take uh in in this uh particular vein but you know I am I'm, I'm I have this sort of uh I was not raised catholic I was raised protestant but I was um extremely envious of the catholics in my town um because the the church was better the services were so much more exciting um the confession booths were so mysterious and wonderful you touched
1: on something because I was, too, in mm-hmm. upstate New York. And the reason I was was because I was brought up Jewish. It was reform. It wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. we weren't, it wasn't very strict. But I still had to be bar mitzvah and all that business. And there are no images in Jewish synagogues. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to create icons. And, of course, it's the pagan aspect of Catholicism that's so exciting and that is at the basis of Western art. So I mm-hmm. always envied. Um, all those colors on Easter I was so jealous of, all those pastels yeah. and... All the glittering lights of Christmas. Uh, I, you know, I missed all that. I, and especially Catholics, because I remember when I was a, s- a small child and my parents took me to the wedding of one of Viva's sisters, Viva the Andy Warhol superstar. Yeah. Because her father was a lawyer in Syracuse and a colleague of my father. And there were a lot of sisters. And they That's took me when I was about six to one of the weddings. And there was this enormous crucifix. As you left, and it was extremely um unclothed, it was just a little strip of cloth over the yeah. groin area, and these gleaming live and it blew my i mean my <laughs> jaw dropped it like burned into my brain. I couldn't believe it that, that was religious, mm. and ever since I've been a great admirer
0: <laughs> of jesus's work uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, I mean, the the Virgin Mary always seemed, you know, I mean, she has a, a much more prominent place in the Catholic Church, obviously, than sort of Protestant. But um, but mm-hmm. that was always, I was always way more interested in her than, um, uh, you know, bearded God dude uh, or whatever. Um, well, yeah, there are a lot of sects in which Mary
1: is the most important figure. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any right now, but I have r- read about that. Did you notice in the third man when he first sees her? Isn't she wearing red? Mm-hmm. And then later, isn't she wearing blue? Mm-hmm. So those are Mary's colors, blue yeah. and red.
0: Um. Yeah, and the and yet yeah, the, all the Mary stuff in, in that movie is is is. Uh, so. I read this somewhere and, and now I, we'll just pretend like it's absolutely true because uh, I don't know. But um, I that, believe everything you say. Thank you. Um, that he had a psychotic break as a, as a teenager and had visions of Mary. Um, yeah, that
1: I didn't know. Yeah. It's really interesting. But you know when another thing that happens in in the fourth man – did I call it the third man before I might yeah, have? Yeah, it's fine. Well, it's the fourth man because he thinks he's – going to be the fourth one to be murdered there Mm -hmm. she it turns out all three of her husbands have had quote unquote accidents and he thinks he's next Mm -hmm. um but to go on um uh we see him having that's the one thing that's never commented about or discussed by the characters he's really lousy in bed she like sits down on him and he comes in like 10 seconds yeah and then she's complaining to him about this young stud she's involved with who comes too fast and then goes to sleep so like why is it never m- mentioned that he did the same thing to her yeah somehow she think um i guess she thinks she can use him in another way
0: um I think that's a perfectly reasonable uh, justification for murdering somebody anyway. Just like, you know, um, making it look like an accident. Sometimes, you know. You mean
1: uh, someone who comes too soon? Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm on her side on, on that, in that situation, They should at show.
1: least do something to you afterwards. So I know. You, like, yeah. And
0: then it's just like, oh, no. Even
1: their hand. Or,
0: yeah. And they fall asleep. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, men are disgusting. They're really bad. But the big problem with women, aside from the fact that they have marvelous organs, in my opinion, that are even better than the male equivalent, more flexible, more um, (laughs) suction-y, more able to turn in different positions, is Mm -hmm. that in the morning they want to know what it meant.
0: Yeah, no, that is true.
1: And that is a big problem in my, uh, you know, a man, when you sleep with a man, he just says, hey, that was cool and that's it.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. We're problems.
1: Women put too much meaning into sexuality. Oh, I'm about to delve into the me too thing. Let's stay away from it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm tempted. but uh, So am I. uh, Maybe we'll circle back around. Um, (laughs) You know, Well, this has very little relevance, except for, um, you know, as stories come out about every single man in existence, nothing's come out about Verhoeven, at least yet, as far as mistreating women on sets and so on and so forth. Like, he seems to have a clean record on that particular issue. Yeah. Also,
1: I don't think the movement has touched Holland like it has France, Mm -hmm. as far as I know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I saw something about, you know, how unfa- unfair he was to Sharon Stone, because I guess people still believe that he duped her into the uh, crotch reveal. Um, really? Yeah she she Is tried that to what sue she him. Says? Yeah, she tried to sue him. Um, and then, well, didn't
1: she know she wasn't wearing any underwear?
0: Yeah, and where the camera was, and that they did a closed set specifically to so but that what was the have her reason
1: f- for not wearing any underwear um, from her side.
0: That uh, because it didn't look good under the dress. She thought that? Yeah.
1: Honey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, just why
1: does she care?
0: Oh, because it turned into a scandal and- um, It got her
1: an enormous amount of publicity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Hmm.
0: Cold feet, I guess. Is it a
1: really good- view? It's not that great a view of her vagina, is no, it? I mean, her I legs mean, are more or less together. For a second, Yeah. Yeah, oh. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, plus it's you know it was before we've seen everybody's, you know, before all the sort of pop starlets started spilling drunkenly out of cars uh, without any underwear on, us. and so now we know what everybody's.
1: Well, you you were obviously too young to remember, but. Uh, There hasn't been a straight line uh, historically in film in terms of showing more and more. There was a period in the 70s or late 60s through early 70s when more and more films were showing frontal nudity. I just watched one of them and I couldn't believe it um, because when I saw it, when it came out, it struck me as normal but this one has so much frontal nudity you almost wish it had less and it's called (laughs) salon kitty kitty salon kitty in america it was called madam kitty it stars helmut berger and a bergman star um the same one that was in the damned with him what's her name ingrid tulin okay and um you see Helmut Berger, who was a big star at the time, completely naked. He gets shot while he's completely naked. Mm-hmm. And you see hordes of people. It's about the Nazis. It's a – oops. I almost threw up. Oh. <laughs> it's about a whorehouse during the um, uh, Nazi era. Um, and y- you see like um, at least 50 vaginas and another 30 penises in it. And mm-hmm. it, it shocks now mm-hmm. but it didn't then. So we've you know, it hasn't gone become more and more revealing. It it's taken a dip since AIDS.
0: Yeah. Um and it seems like anytime there's dick on screen now, it's a really big deal. Yeah. As far as yeah, people people being Um, weird about it.
1: Yeah. And I know that's connected to the whole um, Me Too movement and all of that, (laughs) but we won't get into that. Will we? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, No. Can I just
1: say one sentence about that? Yeah, okay. I understand that a lot of people have suffered as a result of that, but I don't feel – and and it it should be talked about and something should be done, but – One of the things that should be done is women need to grow up thinking that they have the right to protect themselves. Like if Charlie Rose runs across the room naked, it either shouldn't bother them and they should laugh, it shouldn't be threatening, or they can in a very comfortable way say, Charlie, you're an old man and I don't want to see your flat ass running across the room, would you please wear some pants? What happened to that? Yeah. women feel they can 't defend themselves at all they They have to rely on on the police on administrations mm-hmm. on politicians. I mean, what about them? Right. They do play some role in in protecting their their own temple of the lord and (laughs) so that's the part i don't get about this is it's all it's all supposed to be men to take care of this women just have to stand there in you know an evening gown that almost goes all the way up to their pussy and a transparent top, and that's perfectly all right. Mm-hmm. And if they are attacked or someone's aggressive with them, they have no responsibility whatsoever, except not to have it done.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't get that. There was this um, this roundtable. Um, I think it was on the New York Times, and it was you know a panel of uh, women from da- various um, you know a, a lawyer and 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 a you know whatever a, a large group of women to talk about harassment and you know the me too movement and laura kipnis um who i love uh was on the panel and she said can we talk about how how do we um instruct women to take more control of situations and and speak up and be aggressive and you know not have to rely on these institutions to do it for us and to not feel like victims and and she got shouted down immediately and they were
1: like that in my day they were able to take control of their own sexuality express their desire i mean it doesn't mean there were never any rapes or never or they were never forced into situations they Mm -hmm. were but i mean we all are forced into situations we don't wish to be yeah, I'd love to talk about some of mine in detail, but it is not the subject of this podcast.
0: <laughs> we'll do a special. We'll do a special episode. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I it's, and it's interesting how this part of the conversation is taboo um that as soon as you start talking about personal responsibility people get really really angry Um, it's beyond belief and they start talking about um you know well women are socialized to be nice and stuff like that it's like i was i was not socialized but
1: work on that work on the way they're brought up
0: yeah um and also work on yourself to not be nice all the time yeah um yeah so it's weird that this isn't part of the conversation because you would think that um, now that we all are at least acknowledging on on all sides that the world we live in is a shit show, that uh, we should talk about how to survive the experience uh, while we're waiting for the world to maybe hopefully it's transform into something oh, slightly better.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. But there is another element and something has to be done about that. And for years I've been talking about – Opportunism in the new generation, how incredibly ambitious and opportunistic they are. So, yes. you know, so in other words, one of the reasons they don't speak up isn't just shyness, it's because mm. they want that part or they want that job and they're yeah. afraid to ruin it. Yeah. And, um, in the old days when I was young, uh, you either spoke up and didn't do it. Uh, because it was more important to you to preserve your integrity mm-hmm. or you did it yeah and i just recently saw a film in which marilyn they're reading from Merrill monroe's diary and she talked about going on a um, um a photo weekend with a a, a pretty well-known a german photographer who was interested in nature shots and wanted to do her scantily clad in nature and she said and of course i know he has something else in mind for the whole weekend but Hey, if I don't do it, there's a whole line behind me. Mm-hmm. So she was planning on giving in, you know, mm-hmm. because she wanted to advance her career. Like, so make up your mind, girls.
0: No, there was, um, <laughs> you know, the the least surprising thing about the uh, revelations in media is that Vice Magazine is run by a pit of vipers, um, it, and it's just uh, structural. Uh, harassment and assault and uh, really disgusting behavior. But everybody's known that for 10, 15 years. Like, I, I knew that. And so then when you're talking to women who um, they're like, oh, well, I knew that the the place had a bad reputation. So why did you get to take a job there? And they say, well, that's how you advance in your career. Like vice is really good for you. I was like, okay, but that's, yeah. you know, yeah. all right. I believe in living with integrity. If you if you're going to do that kind of thing, and just if you know, if
1: I just believe <sighs> that some man would disgusting. be very lucky to have you.
0: <laughs> Several have been. You got
1: it all, baby.
0: <laughs> we should go back to talking about oh, your yes. Yeah. What's uh,
1: his name? Paul Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. <laughs>
0: um, it is you know uh his movies are uh referred to as being sexist referred to as being um degrading to women mm-hmm. which is interesting uh, in in the sort of uh you know context of all the women are seem pretty uh, like uh empowered and uh agents of their own free will and so on and so forth but um yeah yes.
1: So he's sexist at the same time that he's portraying women that are agents of their own free will the most The, 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 the most confusing and cryptic of those examples is L yeah. Okay. Now, L is is based on a novel by an author whom I know well, because I translated another book of his for an American publisher. And I had to correspond with him to ask him some questions. And when I saw the film the first time, I've seen it twice, it reminded me so much of him. So Verhoeven has been quite faithful to his sensibility, mm-hmm. which is a very twisted sensibility when it comes to sexual politics. But there's something else that Verhoeven added to it, and it had something to do with the fact that, um, yet again, he came right back to the same thesis that the moment that you expose yourself, um, that you begin to satisfy your own will and doing what you want. Mm-hmm. you are putting yourself in touch with very dark forces that uh will definitely have an effect upon her life i mean um w- what's most amazing about it is how cold she is about everything right mm-hmm. yeah we we understand that she doesn't want to call the police because she doesn't want the publicity because her father was a serial killer and she was found covering it that's okay now there there is an almost cartoon aspect of yeah. the film yeah She's just happens to be the daughter of the most notorious serial killer. <laughs>
0: and there's documentaries about her father playing endlessly on French television. Yes, yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. Because he's up for parole, mm-hmm. they're saying. But um Verhoeven does not in any serious way link that past to her current behavior. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of camp, it's a camp excuse for the way that she's behaving in terms of the rape. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he thought he had to include it because people who are not watching a film on a deeper level are going to say, well, why is she acting like that? So he gets rid of that part of the audience. <laughs> we say, well, you know, her father was silly, Kelly, give her a break, and let's really uh, look at what's <laughs> happening here. Yeah. And what's happening here is is that a woman is empowering herself
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and as a result she's becoming she's connecting with the most horrible um kind of libidinal activity mm-hmm. in other words it's not like wow she's free now and let's create a democracy and women for president it's like she's um she herself is like a murderess. Mm-hmm. She um, um, giving herself free reign has only brought her, just like in the in the fourth man, has only brought her in contact with some very dark uh, um, natural processes. Um, and she's very ambivalent about how much she wants to engage them. I mean, why does, she, why is she interested in, in this man after she knows he's the one who raped her? Mm-hmm. Um, she's obviously, she's extremely ambivalent about the whole thing. And that ambivalence or that, that conflict is mirrored by her mother who's making an absolute fool of herself by exercising her libidinal will. Yeah. Instead of it freeing her, it's turning her into a comic, rather repulsive creature that she can't stand. But is she any different? Um, It's all of these women exercising their sexual rights and not doing well as a result. What does that mean?
0: There was some sort of... um... There was a woman filmmaker who was on so you know on social media or whatever talking about how we need um we need more strong women roles in film which is you know the sort of endlessly stupid thing that, that people say but um she was like there there are no you know Weak and dumb women. And I was like, yeah, there are. There are definitely weak and dumb women in this world. But, um. Of course,
1: weak and dumb everybody.
0: And it's fine to, you know, put that shit in movies. Cause I, I mean, I remember Molly Haskell, uh, her review in, I think it was Film Comment. Um, and she's somebody, you know, as a sort of feminist, uh, film scholar and writer that I like some of her work. Um, but she, her, res- her review of Elle, said that she found uh isabel character so repulsive that she was um she was rooting for the rapist ooh uh, <laughs> wow yeah um i was like that's a very interesting feminist um viewpoint uh to, yeah Right. Yeah,
1: but did she go into detail about why she found the Isabelle pair a character so repulsive?
0: Yeah, because she was so cold, because she um, ha- seemed to have uh, no feeling at all. Um, she said-
1: Well, uh, was Molly's father a serial killer?
0: Uh, I don't know that part of her biography. It wasn't in the uh, the three line. I mean, didn't you know.
1: she deal with that? This was a trauma. I mean, I know really. it was the camp explanation, but yeah. she's uh, from the get go supposed to be a traumatized person. Mm-hmm. And that guy might be. Oh, you know what's really interesting that I noticed the mm-hmm. second time. Somebody says why at one point, having to do with her the serial killer father.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who is it? Who's, the father that is it? No. It's somebody's last her mother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, who is it? Who somebody's last word to her is why. But the oh, serial the rapist. Yeah, but before him, oh. somebody else's last word is why.
0: And it wasn't the mother.
1: No, I think it has to do with uh, um, the serial killer father. Someone says about what he did. Why? Uh huh. You see what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I wish I could remember who it was.
0: Yeah, I can't remember either.
1: But if you watch it again, watch out for that "why" because it does occur twice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That should give our listeners enough of a clue to <laughs> interpret the film.
0: They'll pause it right now and go go yeah. rewatch L. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I do remember there was this interview uh, with uh, Verhoeven. Um, uh, one of these. Um, taking questions from the audience and somebody asked him, you know, why do you put so much sex and violence in, in, in your films? And he was just like, is that, is that a grown up question to ask? It's like, yeah, I take?
1: agree with him. Yeah.
0: Um, and it was it was an American asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obvi- what are we obviously. supposed to do
1: about that? Um, I mean, it's just such a blank and, it's too big a question. I mean, it's like, you know, we've been talking about that. He's really interested in the forces of nature and in the things that protect us from those forces and the unpleasant nature of the things that protect us. In other words, a man can never or a woman can never be totally free. They're always subject to some force that's larger than themselves, Mm -hmm. whether it be the tyranny of religion or the um, inevitable outcome of sensuality. And, um, but there's a link. I mean, they're both working for the same boss, religion and sensuality. Mm-hmm. They're both dealing with the nature of decay and the fact that everyone is going to die. And um, I think he sees the human being as trapped within a rather unpleasant um matrix with those two parameters and it's it's a pessimistic worldview i believe
0: Mm -hmm. um yeah it's um as far as the sex and violence part of it goes um you know in an american film this sort of real discomfort with uh sort of, you know, grown-up sexuality and, and grown-up violence even, too. I mean, la- the last time that you were um, on the podcast, we were talking about uh, how feminism has um, maybe reduced roles for women in both film and society because there's these sort of um, very narrow versions of what an empowered woman looks like and so on and so forth. She's got to go to
1: the gym for God's sake.
0: All of the time. She has to go to the gym all of the time.
1: And it doesn't really help her look that good. No,
0: it's just stringy. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the Pilates body. Hard bodied. I don't
1: like it. Was it the Madonna's ex-husband guy, Richie said, like it was like sleeping next to a slab?
0: I think a, a piece of beef jerky is what he said. Oh,
1: <laughs> there is that look. Yeah. yeah,
0: and that's that's the empowered look these days.
1: Jesus, isn't that awful? But um, men don't like that, do they?
0: I don't think so. No. I mean, if you're going like for a status uh, spouse, maybe. Well, I don't but know my adopted
1: bed. Puerto Rican son. He said that that he he really prefers a little padding between the legs. Otherwise, sure. it kind of is bony and it hurts.
0: Yeah, no, bony is not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we keep digressing. Um, yes, I do. Don't I? Um,
1: is it my fault? Isn't it? Yeah.
0: But I would rather watch a sort of um, woman character created by Verhoeven than any any of the sort of new generation of uh, feminist women filmmakers.
1: Let's think of one of them if we can. Um, Zero Dark Thirty.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's a perfect example is the sort of Catherine Bigelow-like women too can commit war crimes. Uh, Yeah.
1: yeah. That's kind of like a right-wing film, isn't it?
0: It's a super right-wing film. Yeah. And Detroit was super right-wing too.
1: Oh, I never saw Detroit. Is that by her?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh. Should I watch it? No. Well, I'm really glad I watched Zero Dark Thirty. Really? Yeah. I don't like. Well, it's that. interesting. Oh. I mean, I I'm not right wing, but yeah, it was an interesting phenomenon. It was ambiguous. You really couldn't tell what her point of view was.
0: Um, I, I do worry that in our new uh, era of the empowered female character, that just everybody is going to be played by Jessica Chastain until yes, in every single and
1: movie. And who is Jessica Chastain? There's an emptiness there that She's I can't- such a-
0: boring actress. Is she? I think so. Oh, see,
1: I I saw it the other way. I saw it as one who's, you know, like holding it all back and it's roiling beneath, but she maintains a mask and that tension is what makes her interesting.
0: I don't think she's interesting at all.
1: You're probably right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I wish we could call her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just get her on the phone. What are you doing in all of these movies? Are you
1: going over your grocery list?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: As you have that blank face, you know, suggesting tension, but there might not be any. Yeah. Well, that's what fascinated me. Oh, I'm digressing again, but that is what fascinated me about Ethel Barrymore. Uh, She didn't do films until she was quite old. And she had this, you know, stillness and this uh, refusal to communicate. It looked like, but you imagine that underneath it, the most profound things were going on. And mm-hmm. I've spent years, what I love her, and I've spent years watching films that she's in, of which there are many in the mm-hmm. '40s and even the '50s, uh, and wondering, like, is she? Processing something profound with that blank stare, or is she going over her grocery list, or wondering if the maid ironed the um, draperies? Right, yeah. and it's you can't figure it out. Mm. It's you can't, you don't know which it is. You just know she's supposed to be profound.
0: And you think Jessica Chastain has has that same quality? Well, she
1: struck me in the same way. I thought, mm. oh, this is a really interesting Agnes. She's so blank. <laughs> Right. But that's also like a, a it's a technique and it's very much used in France, like Stéphane Audron, who was Chabrol's wife mm-hmm. and also he used her in so many films. Her whole thing was to conceal everything that was happening mm-hmm. and you have to intuit it and and you have to intuit a tension beneath that mask, mm-hmm. and um, that is a technique that's very interesting, and that's what I thought Jessica Chastain was doing. But you might be right; she might have just she might just be boring.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I mostly find the the roles that she picks boring, in the in that they're all these sort of uh, capital S strong women, um, like the new the Molly's Game and um, Zero Dark Thirty, and basically everything else that she's in. There's this kind of like. Uh, you know, I'm, it doesn't help that she's on Twitter every five seconds talking about hashtag Me Too. So she is, yeah. Who
1: Me Too'd her?
0: Uh, <laughs> no, she's just like she wants to be supportive of other women. She says she oh. doesn't have, she doesn't. I don't think she's told a personal story of her own.
1: She didn't get Me Too'd.
0: Not that I know of. Um, but you know, she she retweets all of all of that stuff, and it's I guess part of the uh, Times Up uh organization and mm. so on and
1: yeah. mm. 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 man what are we talking about I don't know is it's good though right yeah we're no, fascinating we people. are
0: we are fascinating yeah. and we're not gonna lose any any of the audience uh, yeah throughout and, throughout and like this. if we
1: just this ended up with us having sex before the 40 <laughs> minutes were over <laughs> the sounds wouldn't be if we're video that would be different yeah okay
0: um any final thoughts on Beerhoven before we uh, <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Verhoeven. Yeah. Well, um, I probably uh, could quote a few things from the text I wrote. Sure. Um, uh, um, this is an interesting point. OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, Americans feel a rapport with the Dutch tendency to show and tell all. Visit a provincial Dutch town, and you'll see house after house without curtains in the parlor, bearing clean, gleaming interiors to the judgmental world. We have nothing to hide, is what they are saying. In the Dutch cultural consciousness, what you see must be what you get. All must be spoken and shown. If sex exists, it must be brought into the light and demystified. If violence boils in the heart, it has to bubble to the surface and be analyzed away." As another people dominated by the plain-spoken, soul-bearing Protestant ethic, Americans like to think that they as well reveal all and practice what they preach. But in comparison to the Dutch, the American predilection for forthrightness seems like cliché. It is a homily created for appearances – only the Dutch vowed to illuminate all appetite and impulse to trace their repercussions to the very last strand. And I think that's what Verhoeven does. Was that good?
0: I like it, man. Yeah.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Want to have sex? No. Okay.
0: Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm.